Welcome back to the Game of Thrones Flashcast. I'm Monty Ashley, and I'm introducing this because Jason Snell still isn't here. But you know who is here? Brian Hamilton! The solar eclipse has not eaten me yet, so I'm still here. If you if people listen to this just right, they they might, you know, see the solar eclipse and, and then they'll be blind, from what I understand, and then <laughs> your voice will be telling them everything's okay. That's very, very true. We'll be telling them things are okay and uh we'll be We'll be recapping Game of Thrones to you because apparently you won't be able to uh, to enjoy it after the solar eclipse because it will eat you alive. Hi, Monty. I've missed talking to you. I haven't been on the last, what, th- two episodes? I think you missed two in a row. Oh, man. i got to get back on my game. Let's go. The game starts now. <laughs> this is Season 7, Episode 6, which is called Death is the Enemy. <laughs> <laughs> we usually don't have a whole sentence as the episode titles. We really don't. It's uh, it's much more about um, you know things like uh, you know just any sort of small descriptor thing that uh, may or may not be happening throughout the episode. Yeah, it really didn't come up much. No, it didn't. I'm uh, I'm rather surprised. Uh, so uh, the first thing, uh, Monty, the episode's called Beyond the Wall. Really? Yep. I just checked oh. HBO Go because I thought, wait a minute, I have Beyond the Wall in my notes. <laughs> I wanted to well, play along with you, but... <laughs> I, I promise you, TiVo called it Death is the Enemy. Ooh, interesting. All right. Well, uh, thank you, TiVo, for uh, being a part of this podcast and uh, making me interrupt, Monty. How dare you? <laughs> so, uh, Death is the Enemy Beyond the Wall. Oh, oh that that's what it is. The two of them make one complete sentence. Oh, man, you clever HBO people. Fascinating. All right. So, the first thing that happened was actually not in the episode itself. The previouslys were useful for once. So, recap to me, because I did not watch them as I was cramped for time, as we're recording a little bit later than usual. Uh, So, I skipped the previously. Let me know. uh, Tell me what happens. The most important thing is that they flashed back all the way to season one, when Sansa was forced to write the letter telling her mother, Caitlin, to bend the knee to King Joffrey. Oh, interesting. So I wasn't here last week. Uh, did y'all talk about things uh, to do with... Um, did, did any of you read the letter, the very brief uh, shot of the raven that was sent, uh, that Arya found at the end of last episode? I was able to read basically the middle three words of each line, which included swear fealty to Joffrey and your loving daughter Sansa interesting okay okay so you knew a lot faster than i did what that raven was so in the previous leads we got to see the scene where it happened where cersei and jamie and littlefinger are saying what are we gonna do with this little traitor and littlefinger is the one who says she could prove her loyalty all she has to do is write this letter to her mother saying joffrey is proper king and so on and so forth Excellent, excellent. Your, your dog agrees. That's great. I'm really glad. Uh, so the episode uh, does not open there. It, it winds up, you know, the, the previouslys really can inform how you watch the episode. And I think it's absolutely fascinating yeah. that, you know, here we are kind of metagaming Game of Thrones. It's great. Right. What I would like to do, uh, most of the episode takes place north of the wall or just barely south of the wall. And I want to deal with that whole section last. So uh, 
we can whip through the other two uh, main areas that have plot points this episode. I agree. I have a note later on in my uh, in my document here that says, I wish they had the convictions to spend the entire episode at the wall like they do every so often where they don't yeah. leave. And especially for the penultimate episode of the season, I feel like they should have done that. I think the reason they couldn't do that is because they needed to show Daenerys... There are some travel time problems in this episode. You think? But first, I do think. <laughs> but first, let's go to Winterfell. Winterfell. Winterfell is where the series started, and Arya remembers elements from the very first episode, which I was delighted by. That time she was... That Bran was shooting his bow, and then Arya shot be, from behind him and hit the bullseye. That was a wonderful moment. The The first season is the season I know the best because I've rewatched it so many times, introducing it to people and things. So I know that pilot really well. And this little detail made me smile harder than I have watching Game of Thrones in a while. Um, unfortunately, this is where we see that Arya's training as an assassin has left her completely vulnerable to politics. As she appears to have just walked right into Littlefinger's trap. Uh, as far as I could tell from last episode, he was purposely moving in the light so she could see him, so she could find that note. And I have to assume that everything she's doing now where she's threatening Sansa and the sisters are breaking apart, I have to assume this is all Littlefinger's plan, right? 100%. He's becoming, you know, full-blown Shakespeare villain, kind of doing stage whispers so that various <laughs> characters can hear or not hear <laughs> what's going on. And it's infuriating to me that, well, I guess not infuriating, but I... It makes sense to me that he's doing these things, but I still hate him to death. Game of Thrones needs a character you you can despise. For a while, well, it was Joffrey, and then we had Ramsay Bolton, and now we have uh, and now we have Littlefinger, who's assuming that role. We've always kind of hated him, but now we're really starting to hate him for ruining this amazing reunion that I didn't think would actually happen. Well, what I like is that Arya and Sansa are both kind of right in what they say, like. A lot of what happened, including Ned's death, people do blame on Sansa. But at the same time, Arya's awfully sanctimonious when she's got to go to cool assassin school as opposed to the horrible things that Sansa has had to put up with being married to both Joffrey and Ramsay, of all people. It hurts to see... Okay, metagaming for a second. It hurts to see the show pitting the two of them against each other when we know as a society now watching Game of Thrones in our own reality, we know all the terrible things that have happened with Sansa and the controversy surrounding that. And to see Arya be the person to have to be her foil in this case really hurts. I don't know. This I, I really kind of hate the show for doing this. This is just guesswork, but I wouldn't be entirely surprised if Bran stepped in at some point. Well... Not stepped, obviously, but... Aww, Bron... ooh. <laughs> My point is that Bran is an omniscient character, so he knows everything, just like us, the viewers. And also, somewhere in the back of him, he's still related to both these girls. That's so true. They're it... setting him up to be, you know, the, the distant character. He's like, oh, no, I'm not Bran anymore. I'm just going to be here having visions. And I really appreciated that last episode, which I watched almost immediately before this episode. So, uh, you know, they're kind of blending together for me. There was no Bran this episode, which made me sad. But you're right. There was a moment later in the episode where we see things that are paying off, you know, seasons worth of buildup. And to these characters, they're just things that happen. 
and to us yeah. they're massive it's great to have a very bizarre kind of uh audience surrogate in bran yeah although he's he he, he has taken entire seasons off from the show anyway <laughs> sansa and Arya have their opening thing where they're both very angry at each other then sansa goes to littlefinger and littlefinger i'm a little confused by this argued for Arya's loyalty towards her family but then suggested what if we got Brienne to intervene that was interesting but I feel like as far as Littlefinger's manipulations go not his best work (laughs) no and I don't know why we bothered having that when Brienne is almost immediately ordered out of the castle by Sansa I feel like that's starting to show like cracks in Littlefinger's plan or facade because we see him pull this off this uh, this masterful uh, turning of the tide against uh, Sansa from Arya, and it puts Arya in this weird position where we love her as a character, but she's kind of being a terrible person to Sansa, and yeah. seeing Brienne involved in that, it it felt like a weird monkey wrench, especially because you're right, she leaves almost immediately after. Yeah. Like, there's that scene where Brienne's just saying, I don't want to leave you with Littlefinger. Sansa eventually cracks the whip and says, just go. And isn't even allowed to leave Podrick, which... I'm not that big a loss. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're, you're right. I mean, that scene, it made me feel good, like, early Game of Thrones Stark pride tingles. Where Sansa proclaims this is the safest place for me because, of course, Winterfell is the safest place for the Starks, even though she is keeping, you know, the most dangerous thing to her right now, Littlefinger, extremely close to her. Yeah, but the reason Littlefinger is the most dangerous thing is because she is home. She is nowhere near dumb enough to go to King's Landing right now. (laughs) It's like, as the show was setting up a big Stark reunion, I was really, really scared that she would go to King's Landing and walk right into this Venus flytrap that is the Lannisters. And it makes me happy that she's at least standing her ground. And again, being a strong character uh, by staying in Winterfell and making Brienne go, who's someone who is, you know, much more capable of dealing with the terrible, terrible things that the Lannisters have to uh, make them go through. It really shows a change in uh, Sansa because as I remember, she was the most excited about leaving Winterfell and getting to go to King's Landing back at the beginning of the series. Which is an excellent, like, foil for the fact that, oh, God, I had to write this raven. This is this is terrible. <laughs> yeah. And then we have a final, in this episode, showdown between Sansa and Arya, which starts with Sansa finding the fakest-looking masks I've ever seen. So uh, I, I'm not going to go into the context of why I was watching clips from Master of Disguise earlier today, but I was. And if anyone remembers this abysmal 2002 Dana Carvey comedy comedy in uh, scare quotes. Uh, uh, I will uh, say, I think people remember the one scene where he wants to get into the Turtle Club. Am I not turtly enough for the Turtle yeah. Club? <laughs> That's a great scene. <laughs> so uh, I was watching that and I, uh, I pulled up, look at these absolutely garbage uh, mask effects. And lo and behold, here Sansa is taking out, you know, Halloween masks of Master of Disguise caliber in the freaking, you know, penultimate episode of Game of Thrones, the million dollar per episode Game of Thrones HBO show. It's like in Mission Impossible. We are expected. I'm willing to accept that Arya has the perfect face masking ability, but they've never said there was magic involved. And that makes me really question if they hadn't shown me the masks, I could imagine all sorts of stuff. Showing me that it's just hard plastic. 
I did not care for. This was a problem I had. I forget if I talked about this however many years ago when she was at the House of Black and White, but it always bothered me that they never went into the logistics of it and just kind of spent a lot of time with her in this very uh, this very distant plot arc for her where she's trying to become a faceless man, as she says, uh, because F gender. And <laughs> she, she winds up um, having to learn how to do these, you know, Again, what I thought were magical, uh, you know, transformations. But if it turns out these are just masks, and they they never went into it when she was at the House of Black and White, except for the fact that there are just face mannequins everywhere that she can like go in and find the library of faces, like a terrible uh, yeah. representation of Apple's photos. Uh, it, it 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 boggles my mind that this is the reveal of what was actually happening when such an intense scene is about to happen. I think what you have to do with the masks if you're a television show, is either not go into it at all and let the audience fill in the details or give us enough details to make it make sense. Whereas right now they've given us enough details to make it not make sense. That's true. That's true. There's there's nothing there to... like. It's almost like in Night Vale when they never actually describe things in a constructive way. They just yeah, yeah. Uh, they use comedy to uh, to just kind of obfuscate whatever description is happening. They should have done that here. Well, the example I use in my head is the terrible television show Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. Are you familiar with it? <laughs> I've never seen it, but I've heard... Uh, I was about to say great things, but uh, things. <laughs> uh, the premise of it is that there is a brilliant television show that is exactly like Saturday Night Live, except it's on Fridays. And everybody in it keeps telling us the show is genius, and it, it's a critical rave. It's fantastic. And you would be willing to accept that, except they show us some of the sketches on the show, and they're all terrible. Oh, no. It's like in um, one more example, then we'll move on with actual Game of Thrones analysis. In Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, the plan was to never actually have any sex bob music in it until right. they got samples back from Beck, and they realized, oh, wait, this is great. We don't need to do that joke. We can actually have this excellent music in the yeah. movie. So Sansa and Arya, uh, Arya is menacing... And threatens Sansa openly, then gives her a knife and leaves. And that's all that happens. You know, there's absolutely nothing uh, nuanced in the dialogue or performances. Nothing at all. Just move on. Let's do it. Well, that's kind of how I feel. <laughs> oh, I, I I was being sarcastic. I really enjoyed this scene. Uh, okay, well, sell me on it. Uh, this is after seasons and seasons of buildup for a, a actual real Stark reunion, which you have. Uh, this is the pinnacle of Littlefinger's manipulation in a way he doesn't expect. He did this thing to turn them against each other. He does not know that Arya is a master of disguise with a dagger and a bloodthirst that no one can really truly grasp in this That's universe. True. I don't think anybody alive knows quite how homicidal Arya is. Except for maybe Bran, but again, we'll see at some yeah. point if he's omniscient enough to know. And uh, they didn't really go anywhere. Like, Arya was very threatening, but didn't actually do anything and hasn't yet decided what she's going to do with this letter. That's true, but I'm okay with the fact that she is being terrible to her sister for the sake of her family. And again, putting Arya in that position upsets me as somebody who wants to enjoy the show and what the producers are doing to these characters, but... it. it it makes me happy that Arya, at the very least, had the courage of her convictions to literally threaten her sister, who she loves and hasn't seen in however many years. Yeah. 
Let's go to Dragonstone. Dragonstone, that's an interesting place to go. Uh, Dragonstone is kind of at the mouth of the bay that leads to King King's Landing, which is in the southern part of Westeros. Mm-hmm. I'm just mentioning that. So we, <laughs> we have two scenes here, both between Daenerys and Tyrion. In the first one, Daenerys praises Tyrion for not being a hero, and they're getting along, except then Tyrion admits that he's not planning on killing Cersei and is continuing to whine about Daenerys burning those Tarleys. How did you feel about the Tarleys getting burned? So, yeah, that's right. I wasn't here for that. I have in my notes here uh, that it's really great to see these characters going through something and seeing other characters react around them. So everyone's growing up and having to deal with new responsibilities. Uh, you know, Sansa as the Lady of Winterfell, uh, John as somebody who has to deal with these high-playing characters and uh, very important characters. And, of course, Daenerys finally in King's Landing, or not King's Landing, Westeros, having all the power that she's wanted this whole time. And she's going too far. That is very obvious. She's going too far, burning the uh, the Tarleys and making everyone else swear fealty. She loves to make people bend to the knee and swear fealty. And it's fascinating to me to see Tyrion have to damage control because that's where I think he does best, flailing and panicking. And we haven't had that in a while because he's been kind of low-key away from King's Landing where terrible, terrible things were happening. And I appreciate that a lot. But at the same time, you know, as we'll get to at the end of the episode, things are happening now that I didn't think would happen for at least another year. And um, seeing where Daenerys is and where the plot is, I don't know where they're going to go from here because they're fast-forwarding really fast. Yeah, and... Daenerys, although Tyrion is her hand, she does not like his advice much these days. She didn't like his Tarly advice. Uh, Their first scene ends with her saying, if you had planned for the short term, we wouldn't have lost Dorne and Highgarden. So apparently that's his fault. (laughs) That's true. It's like, it's, it's her overreacting to a whole bunch of things and doesn't know where to put the blame or put her emotions. She can't be... She can't process what's happening until she's angry at someone first. Right. Well, that's, I think that's uh, consistent with what we know of Targaryens, like uh, Danny is fire. Uh, in their second scene, which happens in the middle of all these stuff we're about to talk about, she gets a raven and immediately sets out to fly north. Tyrion thinks it's a bad idea, but she says, you wanted me to do nothing and that didn't work. So I'm doing something this time, which is very results-oriented of her. It really is. And going back to something you said a little while ago, like 30 seconds ago, um, the fact that she wants to distance herself from the Mad King while still embracing being a Targaryen and having dragons is (laughs) a very difficult thing for her to do. And the fact that she's taking the time to say, okay, I'm going to help this person. I'm going to accept this raven. I'm going to go up north and possibly, you know, risk my life to do something. I appreciate that, but she has a lot more character stuff to go through before the the show is over. Yeah. I think one of the plot reasons she has to be burning people is because otherwise it's a real easy choice between Cersei and anyone else. How so? Elaborate. Well, do you remember that giant cathedral that was essentially the St. Peter's Basilica of the religion that almost everyone on the in the country follows. Yes. She blew it up. Mhm. If you are in a majority Catholic country 
and somebody blows up the Vatican City with the Pope and the beloved king and queen in it, and then announces themselves queen. I think there would be some pushback. Okay, I feel that. I I, I thought you meant in terms of burning, like, uh, any sorts of, um, like, what's the word I'm looking for? Any sort of uh, supernatural element? But you're right. That, in and of itself, is a, a parallel that, you know... It's a parallel that makes sense and one that I hadn't thought of yet. Yeah, I just, I think the uh, citizens of the country of Westeros have not usually been considered throughout this whole series. We know they disliked Joffrey. We got the impression that they liked Marjorie, if not Tommen. But I would think they would be anti-Cersei, except that Cersei's opposition has a dragon and is burning people alive, which could well remind them of the Mad King. Exactly, exactly. And again, we don't know, unless I missed something, we don't know what the public really feels about Daenerys yet. We saw last episode that uh, she didn't have much trouble having people bend to the knee and swear fealty when they had, uh, you know, dragons at their head, metaphorically. And yeah. uh, we don't know what that means. If that is actually them saying, oh, the Targaryens, I think I'll do the thing. Oh, wait, nope. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and uh, if that possibly means that she will be successful and beloved by the people, we don't know that yet. So you're right. We really haven't considered the citizens of Westeros. Well, we know the citizens of King's Landing liked Euron Greyjoy. That's true. That's We only know what people think when we have very graphic scenes of them loving yes. or hating someone in public. <laughs> they're a fickle crowd, but they're very emphatic in whatever their current opinion is. They really are. All right, let's go north of the wall. North of the wall. Now, okay, I remember uh, very briefly I skimmed through the thumbnails of the episode. Like, I, I took my finger and just kind of whoop up the uh up the playback on my ipad and i wanted to see what the layout of the episode would be like because i wanted to think wait a minute are they gonna spend the entire time at the wall and then i saw daenerys and uh and winterfell i was like oh no they can't do that dang it i guess they're not doing that and i i savored every single moment (laughs) of the north because dear god is it gorgeous they're upping the budget in the best ways. I mean, we, we talked about the kind of lame dragon effects every so often, but what they're doing in terms of cinematography, location scouting, and uh, I, for the lack of a better word, blocking of everyone going, and it, it felt like a Western. Yeah. It was amazing. Um, it That's weird you say that, because the end of the last episode really felt like the Magnificent Seven. Like, here are these seven people marching out, possibly to die, and then this episode starts, and there's nine or ten people walking single file i realized (laughs) oh they've got some bearers and they've added a couple of red shirts yeah they're that's not very consistent you're right but they they kind of flubbed it so that we can have really amazing character moments throughout the entire like i didn't take many notes about it because i was just lapping it up and just enjoying Mm -hmm. every single interaction that everyone had together well, you're not going to like one of my notes later on, but we'll get All to right. it. All right. All right. <laughs> In our first segment, uh, you've got Gendry whining about how the Brotherhood sold him to a witch until Sandor Clegane tells him to shut up already. Which I don't think is fair because Sandor got burned once and he's still all whiny about it. <laughs> he will not let that go. <laughs> and then we had a scene where uh, Jon Snow talks to Jorah Mormont, they have two things in common, although they don't know it. 
What they're talking about is that John knew Commander Mormont at the Wall, who is Jorah's father. Mm -hmm. I wish they could find some way for Jorah to say, yeah, I got cured of grayscale by this uh, fat guy named Samwell. <laughs> of all the things to... like, they're, they're bringing out all the stops. They are connecting dots that have been dots since the first season. Of all the things to kind of leave hanging, I'm really surprised that is one of them. I'm sure it'll get there eventually. Uh, I mean, they, they go as far as for John to say, well, he gave me this sword. I guess it's the family sword, so maybe it should go to you. And then Jorah says that he dishonored the family so he shouldn't have it. That's confusing to me because I thought Commander Mormont also must have dishonored the family. Isn't that why he's at the wall? Exactly. There's something I've never understood about the show is that, you know, people really, I guess not cherish the wall, but the wall is an institution and people are there, people are serving, and it's usually because they're bastards or criminals. And the fact that, like we mentioned a little while ago, why did no one think it was weird that Jon Snow just left the wall to visit Daenerys? Yeah. Um, of all the things that are kind of being flubbed about the world building, this is the thing that confuses me, is the the respect, or lack thereof, of people at the wall. Yeah, I like. I don't really have an opinion on what it should be, but it seems really inconsistent. Exactly. I'll go, I'll go along with whatever the show wants me to think. Which is weird but, in a show that is usually so consistent and well thought out. Yeah. All right. Second segment. These guys are still walking through the snow. This is the one where Sandor checks in with Tormund, uh, where they try to do a little comedic duo thing. This felt like a conversation that didn't need to happen just because they both know Brienne. Uh, I agree. Like, of all the ways to pair people off, that one was weird. Like, we were talking about people uh, having conversations in boats a few years ago, and this felt <laughs> more like that to me, where one of the questions I have for you later is, uh, do you think they earned their extra 20 minutes this week? So start thinking about that. And uh, this Oh, is... I've got an answer to that. <laughs> Uh, for me, this is in the firmly no column. If you wanted to yeah. have something there, cut this. Like, if it's a whole episode where we really get to... F if it's a whole episode and we don't have these extra bearers with the team, then I could see, like, really examining how each character interacts with each character. But I was a little more interested in the scene in uh, Beric talking to John, just because Beric is the first person to say... You don't really look much like Ned Stark. <laughs> there was something last week where um, uh, somebody said to John, um, "You, you are uh, Snow, but your father's was Stark. What, uh, what does that mean? Oh, I'm a bastard. Oh, a bastard. I, I, that's not a thing in my culture. This was one of those moments where, like, okay, if you want to have this conversation about things that don't really add much to either our as the audience understanding of the world or a character's appreciation for another character." I don't know. It uh, rubbed me the wrong way. Yep. And that was that uh, segment. The next segment, as they jump back and forth across the world, was everybody stopping. There's a blizzard. Tormund says, there's a bear. Gendry says it has blue eyes, which is amazing eyesight for that kid. No one knows what it's like to be the bad man. To be the sad man. Behind blue eyes. Sorry, I need to get that out of my system. I've had that song stuck in my head for right. at least an hour at this point. That's fine. 
Uh, this is a giant zombie snow bear. It's huge, and it runs in, and for a second I thought maybe it was going to be Ghost. Remember how Jon Snow had a uh, white dire wolf that hung out with him? Yeah, and uh, he disappeared, right? Or what, what, what happened to Ghost? Do we know? I have no idea what happened to him. Tweet at I us think... at TV, T-E-E-V-E-E, and we will learn, I guess. Won't. <laughs> I think they just got tired of paying for him. The dire wolves are expensive and not adding enough. I mean, compared to the dragons, are you sure? Like, I'm sure it's a, a dollar worth of, like, like a very small percentage compared to uh, compared to dragons. All I know is I don't see ghosts anywhere. Instead, I see this giant zombie white bear, and it roars ah. in, and it eats a guy. One of those extra guys we brought. That's true. I, I, I'm sure that's why they're there, to just, just to have people uh, to die as the, yep. as the scenes go on. And there's a fight scene. Did you like this fight scene? I enjoyed it. I mean, as we've talked about on the show, I kind of let these wash over me because not much plot-wise happens unless somebody dies, in which case I'm really paying attention. But I enjoyed, at the very least, introducing the concept that animals can be turned uh, White Walker. Hmm. True. That's fair. Um, it felt, in D&D terms, like a random encounter. Like the DM <laughs> rolled on the wandering monster table. Oh, you have to fight a bear. George R. R. Martin would be the worst DM ever. Oh, I don't think that's true at all. Oh, really? Um, have you ever read the Wild Cards books? They I haven't, fantastic. no. Uh, they're essentially a uh, more realistic superhero setting. It's a shared world, so lots of different people were writing them. But George R.R. R. Martin was the editor and, as far as I understand it, the uh, lead creative force. And it's based on a role-playing game he was playing with a bunch of other science fiction writers. That is excellent. I'm that's really glad I know that now. <laughs> So, he's certainly role-played. Um, so, in this fight, they take the dragon da- they take the bear down, excuse me, but Thoros of Mir gets knocked down. No, not Thoros of Mir. Oh, the no. The beloved guy. Anybody but Thoros of Mir. <laughs> but he's not dead. There's moments in, I mean, I mean, we've all seen moments where, uh, seriously, he's alive again? It happens to John at the end of this episode. Seriously, he survived that just because it's a character? How how did this happen? I don't know. Um, yeah. It, it kind of upsets me that they wouldn't just let a character die. I mean, I know I'm going to eat my words later when a major thing happens that involves death with a very major element of the show. But the fact that they kept somebody alive just to kind of have... I don't know. It, 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 it reminded me of Walking Dead in terms of not just the zombies, but in terms of a bunch of people walking in a hostile environment, trying to deal with their limited resources and figuring out how to deal with everything, including at one point they, they capture a White Walker and they have somebody who's, uh, you know, they're trying to uh, they're trying to save them and uh, keep them alive as they're going. It it felt very um, it felt very Walking Dead. And I don't know how else to put it yeah. uh, in the next segment. Oh, dear. All I wrote down were the words rock climbing. <laughs> what's, a, what's the Mystery Science Theater line um, where that, that they, is, that, they're rock that's climbing? That's the whole line. Rock climbing. <laughs> uh, the movie Lost Consonant, Mystery Science Theater 3000 points out, has about a 25-minute uninterrupted rock climbing sequence where nothing happens except rock climbing. And I have to be honest, by this point, we're about... I think 30 minutes into the episode, this is just rock climbing. 
So you don't think they earned their extra 20 minutes this week? I don't. I felt like there was a lot of footage of people walking through the snow. And it was lovely snow. Iceland is a beautiful country. But at this point, there was not a lot of dramatic thrust for me. So I don't know what happened in this section. You got any notes? Uh, Nope. Rock climbing. <laughs> Let's move on. Awesome. <laughs> All right. In the next segment, something exciting finally happens. A white walker, not the Night King, finds a fire. But it's a trap set by the good guys. They attack. And then there's a fight. There's a fight. This is my favorite Icelandic metal music video. It was great. Uh, I liked this fight. It was short. Uh, the good guys looked awesome. And we learned that if you kill the White Walker, almost all of the zombies near it dies. Die. But not Ye- all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was a weird moment of like, seriously? The show's going to do this now? Yeah. Um, so uh, apparently it's uh, Lost Boys Vampire Rules. <laughs> where if you kill a vampire, everything down its genealogical chart uh, dies. I realize in Lost Boys that they're just cured of vampirism. I, I haven't seen Lost Boys. I know I need to, but I feel like I, in this moment, there's that kind of rules referencing of like, oh, if this is going to happen, then this needs to happen. And that felt weird. <laughs> yeah, it, it was very expositional in that they said, all right, here is a rule of the world. All the progeny die. You just have to kill the top of the pyramid. So everybody got that. Everybody checks off on that. Now we know what we're working for. And they have one zombie left, which is great, because remember, they're here on the dumbest plan anyone ever came up with, which is to kidnap a zombie so they can show it to Cersei and convince her for an armistice she would grant anyway in a heartbeat. So... She doesn't have an army. (laughs) Who cares? Thank you for clarifying that. Um... This entire time, again, I binged the last three episodes because I've been busy the past two weeks, which is why I haven't done the episodes. I missed why they had to come up north, and I kind of accepted that they just need to be up north because it's a really great location and something needs to go down. Uh, The the thing is, John was trying to convince Daenerys, you need to stop this war. We need your dragons up north fighting the army of the dead. And she says, I can't just stop fighting. I'm in the middle of a war with Cersei. Tyrion says, I can't convince Cersei to take a break, but maybe Jamie can. And that's why Tyrion had that scene with Jamie last episode, was to convince Cersei that if they bring her proof that the dead are walking, then she'll lay off for a bit so that can be- get dealt with. Uh, of all the people to claim they were king... Only John and Stannis have put any effort towards fighting the army of the dead. Agreed. Uh, first of all, that was an excellent summary of things that made, that really clarified how I you know, understand the rest of the episode and the eventual loss we have. On the other hand, that sounded like the South Park joke they did a few years ago when uh, the teacher was going, Oh, so then the Lannisters did this, but then the Tyrells did this. And it, it felt like... <laughs> Like, uh, life imitating art in terms of yeah. the stereotypical Game of Thrones, uh, having to describe everything he said, then she said, then he said that they would do this, and then she said, like, it was great. So thank you for that <laughs> wonderful it's, moment, Monty. It's a complicated show. So, they have captured their one zombie. The problem is, he screams like Obi-Wan imitating a crate dragon. <laughs> <laughs> I've missed podcasting with you, Monty. <laughs> uh, I'm guessing some of the listeners might be nerds and will understand that. 
What? No, nerds? Pfft, never. So that means the whole army of the dead is coming for our guys. They stick the zombie in a bag and tell Gendry, go run to the wall. And he has to give up his hammer. Which is kind of a shame. I wanted him to do more with it. I guess he did have two fight scenes already. He did, but I, I, I read that as a, okay, he's not going to make it. If he's not going to have his hammer to fight, he's not going to make it. But then, again, travel time, he's immediately back at the wall. And I yeah, was extremely, sure I mean, we've only been out here one episode. So I guess it's kind of plausible that they would spend, like, they would be able to just cut and say plausibly, okay, fine, he's back at the wall. We know he's safe for next episode. But at the same time, like, they spent so much time on all the small little details that got him out of here. And it was like the next shot or the next scene where he was back. Yeah. Um, I will say their justification for sending him was that he was the fastest I don't think that's true. I'm certain that Tormund is much better at running in snow than Gendry is, who's never seen it. I agree. However, the real reason they sent him is that we need Tormund fighting, and we don't need you, kid. Yep. Uh, it was really cool to see him fighting and being, you know, the wildling he is, being all, you know, badass fighting all these zombies. But it would have made a little bit more logistical sense. But then, then again, who are we to, like... Uh, I can imagine like a, a fantasy bracket of managing Game of Thrones parties. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that would be great. So if I'm putting together out of this group, who's the least necessary for fighting zombies? It's Gendry. So he's he's on uh, messenger duty. That makes sense. Yes. So he runs off. We have this thing where suddenly there's an ice. So the ice starts cracking, and our guys stop running. Then they see a huge army of zombies behind them. So they do run. They end up, I guess, in the middle of a lake, surrounded by thousands of zombies who all march towards them and start falling in the water. And then uh, we get to cut. That's when we cut to seeing Gendry at the wall already. Yes, yes. There's, uh, there's that big intense moment that is able to transition into a slightly less intense, but still kind of on the afterburner of how in intense that scene was, where he's running, panting, and then collapses at the gate, which I thought was great. Yeah. Good for you, Gendry. You did something. I also want to bring up here, uh, this started to go into silly territory for me where it kind of felt like a little kid going, oh, oh, so what if uh, the guys, like the good guys are running and they're on a frozen lake, but then like all the zombies are like on the outskirts of the lake and they're looking at them and one of the guys has like a flaming sword and they have a zombie with them and they're trying, it felt like a little kid recapping like a random thing that they saw on TV on the yeah. playground. I didn't hate it, but I kind of felt like at this point the plot was a series of events happening to our characters. Like the bear is, then something attacks you. Then they find some zombies and they attack you. And now a whole bunch of zombies attack you. And it's been a little... I want things to happen because our characters did something. And I, I guess you could say that this is happening because our characters came too far north, but we were also supposed to think that was a good idea. Agreed, agreed. And they did it well an episode or two ago. Again, I forget which. I binged them. Uh, when uh, uh, when Braun is running around and HBO does the true detective long take of him panicking in the middle of this fight where the dragons are breathing fire everywhere and he's, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's running around and people are fighting him and he has to avoid the dragon and everything. That was great. That is a moment where you really get to see something happen to a character. They react really incredibly and the show puts it together in a really fascinating, like, almost single-shot way, which I, I could see the seams in it. There was one point where, like, a horse rode by, and you knew they cut there. But I really <laughs> appreciated that 
you know, they were able to show something happening to a character and make it interesting. This was not that. Yeah. Uh, next segment, um, their hostage zombie is making noises and Sandor kicks him, which I thought was fun. That's in character for him. <laughs> and then my favorite moment of the entire episode where, uh, uh, forgive me, who's the one that throws the rock? That's Sandor again. Yes, thank you, Sandor. He uh, he picks up a rock and says, "F this! I'm going to throw a rock at one of these White Walkers." And uh, and created my new cosplay for whatever uh, con I go to next, the Jawless Zombie, yeah. which is another thing I loved about The Walking Dead when they would come up with weird, morbid, creepy ways of showing zombies are undead and having their bodies be mangled. I really appreciated the character design on this. Yeah. But then, but then he throws another rock and misses, and this small soft moment like again in a western there's like a brief giveaway where somebody says you know this is a thing we can do oh okay you've you've jumped past this scene where a couple interesting things do happen so i want to cover them real quick of course of course i'm sorry uh sandor wants to get drunk because thoros is dead unfortunately we need that alcohol to burn his body because this is the scene that shows our five pcs are surrounded completely on all sides and so they start discussing strategy. What if we went for the walkers? No, because John is still set on taking a zombie south. This is where he says, by now there's a raven going to Dragonstone. Maybe Daenerys will save them. And at this point you start thinking, well, how long does it take a raven to fly down the entire continent? Then Daenerys reads it. Then we'll have to go out, get on, the, get on her dragon and fly all the way up here. How long... Are they going to be on this little ice flow? Well, Monty, I don't know if you've heard, but Apple's decided to keep Ravens in iCloud for iOS 11. And I guess they're all in the beta because it means that everything is synced across instantly, which means that Daenerys would be able to get the Raven as fast as she could, which I thought made a lot of sense. Okay. <laughs> Isn't technology wonderful? <laughs> Hi, Apple so, geeks. <laughs> at this point, Beric thinks he and John should just go be trying to kill the Night King. Because why else could we have been both brought back to life? And Sandor points out, you don't have a priest anymore. You're on your last life. So I like that they were establishing the uh, terms of what they're in. These are the stakes. Then when we come back, Sandor threw that rock. And what happened with that second rock that was such a problem? Well, uh, he he undershot. And you know that wouldn't be a problem uh, if it weren't for the fact that the rock proved that the uh, the lake was frozen back over and that they could walk across the lake unimpeded because they are skeletons that are very light and are not going to break uh, uh, break any ice as they walk across them. So it immediately begins another ambush, and I thought it was excellent. Hmm. This is the fight I liked the least. Really? Yes, because it's our heroes against an infinite number of enemies. And once there's that many enemies, I kind of stop. It's not a linear thing where it's more exciting the more people you fight. Have you seen the second Matrix movie? I have not. I've been told not to. Enlighten me. There is a scene in which Neo, played by Keanu Reeves, fights an apparently infinite number of Agent Smiths, played by Guy Pearce. <laughs> And it looked okay at the time. Now it looks like bad CGI. But it's mostly just boring. 
even though there are great stunts happening, great CGI stunts happening, because Neo is invulnerable and he can't win because there's an infinite number of Agent Smiths to fight. I also need to correct you uh, because I have seen the first Matrix movie. He is played by Hugo Weaving and not Guy Pearce. You are right. I got my Priscilla, Queen of the Desert actors mixed up. Ah, ah, but wait. uh, I'm going to justify it by saying that Hugo Weaving played Guy Fawkes, kind of, as V in uh, in (laughs) V for Vendetta, also by the Wachowskis. So there you go. That's how you got the word Guy and Hugo and Agent Smith all together. I'm sticking with my Priscilla, Queen of the Desert thing. (laughs) Of course you would. (laughs) Um, I'm going to bring up Scott Pilgrim again. Uh, All right. Spends the entire movie fighting one X after one X after one X until the very end of the movie when he's fighting anywhere between 30, 40, 50 different henchmen until he gets up to the very final X. And it makes no sense whatsoever. It is, again, one of my least favorite things about any sort of media where they they think to up the ante. You're right. They, they need to make it exponential and they don't have to. Like there was no chance that they were going to win this fight. So, but we had to see them fighting and being pushed back, which I wasn't clear on because they didn't have a back to be pushed to. They were on, kind of on an island. <laughs> he said, fall back. Where to? <laughs> yeah. Luckily, they turned out to have a hill. Uh, at one point, it looks like Tormund has been overcome. He's being dragged under, under the water. No, he's fine. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it, it, it's like, I've played Final Fantasy. I know this is one of those fights we have to lose. It's built into the game. Yeah. Uh, that is an Adventure Zone reference, and you cannot fool me with that. Thank you. I knew you would get it, because I was going to bring up Adventure Zone earlier, and I will in my wrap-up of the episode, and I will not spoil anything with regards to the finale, but uh, let's just say I have a lot of opinions about the Adventure Zone and how it relates to... <laughs> I'm just going to say I liked the Adventure Zone finale a lot more than this episode. Me too. All right, but um, so our heroes go up a hill. They're being besieged on all sides. We see somebody get dragged under by zombies with in a cool POV shot, but it's not clear who it is. So at that point, John kind of looks around to see who's with him, and we see that it wasn't John, it wasn't Tormund, it wasn't Sander, it wasn't Beric, it also wasn't Jorah. So it was an NPC. Anyway, here come the zombies. And then finally, <laughs> there's a dragon. How long were they up there? <laughs> you know, we'll never know, I guess. Okay. If travel time is going to be hand-waved by the producers, I don't think this is uh, this is going to be answered anytime soon. Well, but this is one of the only times that there was a time element brought up. They say, we just have to hold out. Maybe Daenerys is going to get the message and get up here in time. And she does. But did it take her the 15 minutes it looked like? This is where I feel like the fact that they made this an extra 20 minutes long makes sense. Okay. They gave us a little bit more time to be in this world and feel like it makes sense. They spent that extra time hanging out and talking on their way to where they are now and not, you know, here at the end of the episode where it would make more sense to show them passing the time more. I feel like when people, or I guess... The producers think that when people watch Game of Thrones and think, oh, there's an extra 20 minutes, I'm excited to see what those are, they think that they're looking for the 60-minute mark and everything after that is a bonus. But that's not true. It is an 80-minute episode that could have been trimmed down to 60 minutes with the exact same structure and the exact same stuff in it for the most part, cutting a few scenes we've already talked about, and spent more time to make 
this moment makes sense, you know? A dragon shows up. Danny got here. That's what's important. <laughs> it doesn't matter how long it took her. We had our guys in, under siege, and now we have a dragon flying around, busting up zombies. I want to be clear, that part I was here for. <laughs> I agree. Uh, it was awesome to see. And this is the thing I thought would happen in the very, very, very last episode of Game of Thrones. Yeah. I, you're right. That's That seemed like a climactic moment for the series, where finally we see dragons versus zombies. But it turns out zombies are not entirely defenseless, because the Night King has a dragon-killing staff. So I was angry when Cersei and the people at King's Landing were like, oh, you know, we're not empty-handed either. We can always do these uh, these dragon-killing things with these uh, this giant crossbow. And we saw that come to pass a few episodes ago, or last episode, again, I forget which, um, when the dragon is actually shot and wounded. Uh, so I guess that was a nice way to kind of set the scene for dragons being vulnerable, but I did not think that the uh, the White Walkers were able to have this kind of defense. And it came out of nowhere for me that these kinds of people... I guess this is kind of set up with the like first humans cave drawings thing in, the, in another episode where these kinds of things have happened already and they're just... Uh, all the human characters in this are just cogs in a wheel, like a great cyclical wheel of conflict. Uh, but still, it surprised me that the show went as far as it did in this episode. Yeah, it. I guess it makes sense that the White Walkers aren't immediately killed by dragons. Otherwise, there wouldn't be White Walkers because there used to be dragons. But that was very surprising to me that that dragon, I wish they had said which dragon it was, just got killed <laughs> by a spear. Are you able uh, to keep, keep uh, the dragons straight? Because I'm not. No, I know their names. I, but I, that's I don't... <laughs> There's Drogon, who's named for being a dragon. Did you know that this... Tobor is robot backwards? Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Stop blowing my mind. Then there's Viserion, who's named after Viserys, her brother, and Rhaegon, named after Rhaegar, her father. Again, if she's trying to distance herself from the Mad King, <laughs> don't name your freaking dragons after them. <laughs> she's, she's trying to distance herself a little, but the Mad King is also why she gets to be queen if she does i don't know she's she's warped in her uh expectations not warped is the wrong word she has expectations that i don't think can come to pass that's probably true uh so the real problem here is that she was ready to she flew down after killing a bunch of zombies john snow did not get up on the dragon he just kept killing zombies and i wasn't sure why the script told him to that's, the, okay. that's how I rationalize it. Nice going, John. So while he was doing that, one of the dragons got killed. John locks eyes with the Night King. Daenerys is bummed out. John got tackled into the water. Daenerys had to leave. Jorah almost falls off the dragon. Could have done without that moment. I don't know. It looked cool. Uh, it reminded it me did look more cool. of a an amusement park, an amusement park ride than anything else. Uh, but... They got to flex their budget somewhere, and it was that one yeah. shot of the dragon and Jorah and the ground. It felt like an extra moment to me. Like, you know, people are always falling off their brooms in Quidditch. Could we throw one of those in here? Got to earn your 20 minutes. Yeah. So the dragon full of everybody but John, and also except Thoros and Gendry. <laughs> and Keeping all, all these the characters NPC straight. <laughs> and all the NPCs who didn't get a name before they got killed by zombies. 
leaves. John manages to claw his way out of the icy water. And he stands. He's about to face a million zombies. And this one I liked because he's faced a million zombies like three times in this episode. But this time I thought, maybe they're going to kill him. Maybe this is where Jon Snow, his luck runs out. But no. A maniac roars up. Did you recognize the maniac? Maniac. No, I didn't. That's Uncle Benjen. Oh, oh, that maniac. I'm so sorry. I thought you meant, uh, I thought you were referencing one of the NPCs that didn't get a name. Yes, Benjen. He, he, he calls out Benjen. And, you know, this reminded me a lot of, uh, you know, we both love the Adventure Zone and the finale of the Adventure Zone just happened. And you can tell that the, the people in the Adventure Zone went back to the beginning to listen to the first few episodes to make callbacks all the way back then in the finale and make it work. The producers of the show are doing that exact same thing here. They're calling back things from very, very, very early on because they realize, well, we have the time investment. Let's just make, like, not not a cheap uh, payoff, but a payoff you wouldn't expect and kind of emotional impact you didn't think you were going to get this episode. And I think it worked, question mark, but... It was a little bit Uncle Ex Machina for me. <laughs> like, John just got saved from certain death by somebody... And it happened again. Good for him. Like, is, is Uncle Ex Machina uh, Uncle Grandpa's brother? No. Oh, okay. I'm not... I have trouble with the genealogy of the Uncle Grandpa universe. The fact that he showed up in Steven Universe confuses me even more. Well, he's everybody's uncle and everybody's grandpa. Don't think about it too hard, Monty. It's almost <laughs> like... <laughs> there's the genealogy in Game of Thrones is kind of effed up, and then I've there's that. Some, <laughs> I've got some. I'm just not sure how that lines up. <laughs> well, the travel time for Uncle Grandpa to get from universe to universe is yeah. no. I... <laughs> All right. So anyway, we jump back to Eastwatch. Sandor, Beric, and Tormund kind of nod at each other. It looks like Sandor is going south with the zombie. Beric and Tormund are staying here. They did get their stupid zombie, and Daenerys is watching from the top of the wall while a dragon flies around. She hopes to see Jon. Will she see Jon? She does. Hooray! Yay! In principle, this was a very touching moment, because we got to see Daenerys worried about Jon. I didn't think she looked that worried. That's true. Um, Her stoicism all throughout the show really I'm writing this off as stoicism uh, for her because she needs to be hard as nails if she wants to rule the world the way she does Uh, who knows if that's going to come to pass who knows if this makes sense who knows if it's just poor acting which I really don't want to expect from Amelia Clark she's great and I really don't want to think this is poor acting or a poor directorial choice but here you have it you're right she wasn't that concerned I feel like Amelia Clark may have been cast for the for what Daenerys has done up to this point where she has to look bloody but unbowed she has to be able to give epic speeches while standing in a huge pyre holding three dragons that just got born and she's great at that stuff she hasn't had to really 
emotively fall in love on the show. Although I guess she has been in love with Khal Drago. Very, very true. I, th- this is, again, the first time any of this is happening for most of these characters. So yeah. I'm not going to put it past them to not have thought through this far. I, I, I know sure as hell George R. R. Martin hasn't <laughs> for, no. uh, for all this time. So who knows? I mean, it didn't bother me so much because the next scene was pretty great for a few reasons, even though it did feel like a little cheaty about where it ended and what uh, wound up happening. But that moment didn't bother me quite as much, even though I agree with you. So the scene you're talking about, John wakes up on a boat. She's sorry. He's sorry. But she's glad she saw the zombies. And now it's personal. The Night King killed one of her babies. She is going to just mess up that army of the dead. And like you said earlier, this seems very early for that for, for that decision with a whole season still to come. So I, I talked about Breaking Bad earlier on in this series of podcasts as a, the quintessential example of the show that you think you have the idea of where the uh, the arc is going to go. And then the thing you happen think happens at the very end happens way earlier than you think and you realize the Mm -hmm. show's going to go even further and this was that for me uh they they had the final quote-unquote final white walker versus dragon battle way earlier than i thought and i i wonder if the whole travel time controversy on reddit everywhere is because of the fact that we're expecting so much more from the rest of the show the only reason travel time bothers me is that sometimes it's plot relevant. Like, if you have a character in one plot saying, it will take you a very long time to get to King's Landing. You better start now. Then it's weird that somebody in another plot is on the other side of the continent immediately. That makes sense. I don't know. It, it doesn't bother me quite as much, but right. it's an interesting discussion about what the show decides to linger on and what the show decides to hand wave over. Yeah. And uh, John thanks her, calls her Danny, which <laughs> felt weird, oh, and she called out as being weird. And he uh, can't actually bend the knee because he's bedridden, but he decides, as even Tormund told him was a good idea, Maybe I should just bend the knee because there's no other way to fight this army of the dead. The moment that stuck out the most to me was Daenerys thinking, oh, wait, really? But but what about the people that you uh, that follow you? How will they feel? And given how adamant she was two episodes ago about him bending yeah. the knee, here she is being much more sympathetic. And yet they've been through something really intense just now. But I truly think that is the part that fell out of place to me. I also want to call out... Um, Oh, Danny. Who who was the last person to call me that? My brother? Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> I I call her Danny in my notes a lot because D A N Y is a lot faster to type than Daenerys. Yep, same. Same. <laughs> and then we get a stinger. Ow. A little that hurt. A little extra moment in the episode. We in which we see a great many zombie humans and some zombie mammoths dragging on some huge chains. What are they doing? They're bringing something up out of the water. It's that dragon. It's the dragon, and you think for a second that the dragon's going to be okay. 
do, do you? I didn't think that. Oh, I thought that. Maybe I was just holding out hope for maybe the dragon returning, but no, I, I was hoping the dragon would be okay. And uh, what we've got here is what I believe the Yu-Gi-Oh players call a blue eyes white dragon. <laughs> blue eyes white dragon can't lose. Nailed it. <laughs> Yep, uh, looks like the Night King has himself a zombie dragon now. So that's zombie dragon on one side versus two living dragons on the other side. Behind blue eyes. I, I truly think that the show, I, I this seems really silly to me, but I think it's going to be a fight over an extra dragon for the, for the Night King and his army. I feel like it's going to be like a game of war where the last card goes back and forth, back and forth over and over again until the game is won way too long after the fact that this is now a huge advantage that the, that the night King has makes me think that something even more ridiculous is going to happen as the show continues. There's one episode left. This was the like massive penultimate episode that happens every single freaking season of Game of Thrones. Who knows what's going to happen next week? I don't know. I wonder if this is indicative of bigger things to come next season or next episode or this is the big thing for the season. But rest assured, next season is going to be yeah. bananas. I don't expect this to happen, but I will say, based on what we have seen, the Night King could hop on that zombie dragon, fly down, and just destroy King's Landing, surprising everybody. Ooh, which which would be an excellent... God, that would be an excellent foil for Daenerys, who's like, should we do this? Oh, I don't know. We don't want to alienate the uh, the townsfolk who really enjoy living there, and then we don't want to like alienate all these other armies. What if the Night King just comes down and destroys everything before Daenerys even thinks? He's going to look pretty cool on that dragon, I gotta say. It's Is, is it going to breathe fire or ice? That's a great question. I vote ice. I'm thinking fire. The fact that he's a uh, white walker now doesn't mean that it's changing the innards of his fire-producing capabilities and turning it into ice. It did change the innards of his eyes, which used to be flame-colored. Ah, that happens with like that happens when you're sick in the real world. Who knows what that <laughs> like? That that's fine. Fine. Well, I don't really know what's going to happen next week, except surely someone's going to die. Someone's going to die. My money is on... God. My money's on Jon Snow again. Either mm. finally or for another uh, revival. I think we're swapping off Jon Snow and we have to get back to the question of the Iron Throne. It's time to take this zombie, show it to Cersei, and then make some deals that nobody has any intention of following up on. That's true. The the zombie capture thing. Now that it's a uh, now that I know in over the course of this podcast that that is why they were trying to capture it and why they're over the wall in the first place. It kind of nothing is going to be as climactic in King's Landing with this zombie as things were this episode. Yeah, but we will see each other next week and talk about it. I believe Jason's back. Jason's back. Uh, I'll be here. Uh, I have no expectations of not being here. And of course, you're on every episode, so you're going to be here. Yep. All right. See you next week. See you next week.